Okay, the name of the message is God Gives More Grace. God Gives More Grace. Last week we looked at verses 1 to 7 in James chapter 4. And I want to go over verses 6 and 7 again today. And we're also, if, if we have time, we'll also go over verses 8 to 10 as well. And the grace of God is an inexhaustible well. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. You cannot exhaust it. It's an inexhaustible well of living water and it springs up and it's overflowing with everlasting life. We know the scripture says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's superabounding grace. God's grace is just not grace, it's superabounding grace. Now we fail everywhere, don't we? We, we fail in, in all things we do. But beloved of God, our great God, he never fails. God's grace never fails. It never fails. It always accomplishes what he sets it out to do. And we see here, it's so clearly brought forth, that God's grace is abounding grace. James chapter 4, verses 5 to 10. Let's read that. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Look at that. Our God gives more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves, therefore. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now James brings forth here, in verse 6, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Again, God's grace is infinite. It's just like him. It's infinite. It's eternal. His grace never changes. It's eternal grace. It's infinite grace. And we, as God's people, have an infinite bounty of God's grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 4 in this chapter brings forth the other depravity of man because if God does not have mercy upon us, we will be forever lost. We will be forever lost. In verse 4 also brings forth how we who are saved struggle all the time in this flesh, but but praise be to God for grace. And for verse 6, where we see that God gives grace to his people. He gives grace to the humble. Those who have been humbled by the Holy Spirit of God. We've been brought low by the Holy Spirit of God. We've been made to see our desperate need for Christ. Now the scripture reference for this verse is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. If you want to look there, you can. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. And then also consider these words in light of the Master who said, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, it says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. He gives grace unto the Lord. We've been bought low, beloved, by God the Holy Spirit. And then turn, if you would, to First Peter. P. 
Peter brings forth this same vein of thought. And I'm going to read James 4, 6 again. It says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, again, remember too, remember who the author of these words are. It's God the Holy Spirit who is the true author of these words. And we will see here, we saw in, in the Old Testament there in Proverbs, how it ties in with James. James got that reference probably from that verse. And then now we see Peter also will bring forth the same thing. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God, here we go, resisteth the proud and give grace to the humble. So we see that vein now. In the Old Testament and now in the New Testament as well. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That ties in with the words of our master in Matthew twenty three twelve. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, shall be bought low. And he that humble himself shall be exalted. So we see again scripture always, like I always say scripture and Donnie Bell is the one who told me this. Scripture will always back up Scripture. Always. You'll always find that. Scripture will always back up Scripture. No Scripture stands alone. And then it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, in, in 1 Peter 5, 6, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, if we could only learn that, right? Like Brother Joe Terrell says, the hardest thing for us is to enter into the rest of Christ. Just to rest. Just to rest. We'll see that bought up later on as we go through this verse, these verses today. And see the portion where it says, God resisteth the proud? Resisteth there in the Greek means to be against. It's used in the sense to set an army in array against an enemy. So God, like an army set against another army, is against the proud. That sure goes against modern Christianity, doesn't it? It says God loves everybody and wants to save everybody. Well, that sure goes against that vein, doesn't it? No, it means to, to set an army in array against an enemy, to arrange in battle order. Oh, my. So, beloved of God... The miracle of God's grace is the fact is the fact that we no longer resist God. Because by nature we resist God. We flee from God by nature. So the miracle of God's grace is now we submit ourselves to God by His grace and mercy. There's nothing in us that would cause us to do that. It's all by the grace and mercy of God in Christ and plus nothing. What a miracle. God takes proud, arrogant, self-righteous sinners like me and like you, and by His grace and His mercy, He causes us, right? Because it's Him working in us, isn't it? He causes us to rejoice in Him. He gives us faith to believe after we're born again by His almighty power. And then He gives us faith to believe 
and we run to Christ. Oh, what a great God we have. So he rejects those that trust in themselves. He rejects those self-righteous people who trust in themselves. Those who despise others. I told you all I was a Pharisee before the Lord saved me. I was in religion before the Lord saved me. And I used to think, oh, how could that person be a Christian and do that? Oh my, the Lord sure took me. Took me down a lot of notches. You realize, no, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Those who think they're holier than thou by their words and their actions, he, he's against them. They're nothing but proud, self-righteous religionists. Proud of themselves, proud of their supposed gifts, proud of what they do. Pride is, is, is they're full of pride. Now, we struggle with pride too, don't we? We do. All of us do. All of us do. You ever see a man with a collar? They're identifying that they're religious. I like what one grace preacher told me when I first started preaching. He said, one thing with God's preachers, you can't pick us out of a crowd. (laughs) We look just like everybody else. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? It's true. We'll go around wearing no collar, identifying ourselves as supposed more holy than anyone else. No, that's just self-righteous pride, beloved. So these who the Lord's against are full and rich and increased with goods. But they, and, and in the world, they stand in need of nothing. And even in their thoughts, they stand in, in need of nothing. They think that they're blameless before God. And yet they're guilty. And yet they're guilty. God opposes them. That's what the scripture says. God opposes them. He sets himself against them. He thrusts them away from him. Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Now, these folks, these folks are religious folks. In Matthew 7, we're going to see here. These are people who say, Lord, look at all these things we've done for you. Now, this portion of Scripture, I remember hearing Brother Henry preach on this. There's a sermon, if you get your hands on it. I think it's on Sermon Audio. I never knew you. And he preaches on this text. Oh, my. Absolutely incredible. Matthew chapter 7. You know, our Lord, he just, he's so far above his enemies, he just sits and laughs at them. He has them in derision. Man would rather believe a lie about their supposed free will than believe the fact that God has to save you or you'll never be saved. Listen, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. So these are religious people, beloved. These are people who supposedly call on the name of the Lord. Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have, Have we not done all these things? Have we not done these things? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works. Do you notice something they're doing? Do you remember in the other portion of Scripture, we're not going to go there, but when the Lord's talking to his people and he says, he says when, when they say, when did we do these things, Lord? 
When did we serve you? When did we do these things? And, and he starts telling them, well, when you visited the sick, when you gave a cup of water, when you did this. These people instead are pronouncing all the things that they've done. You ever been around religious people? They tell you, you just ask them one thing and they they're, they're keep you busy for hours telling you about things that they've done. I know, I was there. Instead of telling you what Christ has done, well, they don't know what Christ has done. See, that's the problem. And how do we know that? Well, look at the, look at the next part of this verse here. Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never gnosked you in the Greek. I didn't have an intimate relationship with you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, they just raved about what they've done. And the Lord said, that's just wickedness. I never knew you. I've not known you from the foundation of the world. Now, does he know everybody? Of course, he's God. But he's talking about that intimate relationship when the Father gave the Son a people in eternity. And again, that gnoska is, is a union. It denotes a union between a husband and a wife. Who's the bride of Christ? His people. His people. He doesn't know these other folks. He's against them. He's set against them. And God's people are bought low. We know we cannot save ourselves. We know we have no ability to save ourselves. We know we cannot cleanse our own sin and our many sins, but we do know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We do know that, don't we? And we trust in Him. We've been, we've been showing our desperate need for Him, and we are amazed that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven all our sin. And now we just want to tell others about it, don't we? We don't know who the elect are. Just tell people about Christ. God knows who they are, but we don't have no clue. So we just tell everybody about the great things that God has done for us. And our great God's given us a new nature, hasn't he? We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Now we have a new heart. We're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. When God looks upon us, he sees Christ. My. And though we're still sinners, we rejoice in the fact that we have complete justification before God in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that incredible? Now, we're as secure as the folks in heaven, you know that? We don't feel that all the time, do we? As we get tossed to and fro and we we think, oh my Lord, how can I be such a sinner and, and, and be saved? Because it's not dependent upon you and I. It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done. His perfect, complete, sin-atoning work. And we rejoice that we're perfectly righteous in God's sight. We're sinners, and yet we're perfectly righteous in God's sight because of the righteousness of Christ. See, that's the missing note from today's preaching. You've heard me say that, and I'm going to keep saying it, because it's true. Men and women are going about nowadays trying to establish their own righteousness. We trust in Christ, who is our righteousness. 
He's our righteousness. And God gives us grace, doesn't he? He gives us grace every, every day he gives us grace. Every hour he gives us grace. And every minute he gives us grace. And every second he gives us grace, doesn't he? We don't always see it. We're not always aware of it. But we live a life based upon God's grace and mercy. <laughs> He's so good to us, beloved. Daily we're loaded down with benefits, the scripture says. Daily. His mercies are what? New every morning. New every morning. It's wonderful. And he gives us grace to sustain us in trials, doesn't he? He gives us grace to deliver us in temptation. He gives us grace to restore us when we fall. He gives us grace to be content with his providence. To not murmur against his providence. He gives us grace to comfort us in times of trouble. He gives us grace to help us in times of need. He gives us grace to keep us from the snare of Satan. He gives us grace to strengthen us in our labors for him. Or our labors in this world. He gives us grace to direct us in life. He gives us grace to support us in death. And he gives us grace to bring us to glory. Therefore, we conclude what? Salvations of the Lord. From beginning to end and everything in between. Now, we're not what we want to be, are we? We're not. We're not what we want to be. If, 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 if we were what we wanted to be, we wouldn't sin anymore, would we? We hate sin now. But we're sinners. Well, we're trapped in this body, aren't we? And we're not what we ought to be or hope to be, but praise be to God, we're not what we used to be. We're not what we used to be. God's showing us great mercy, hasn't he, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, my. Now let's read verses 7 and 8 together, and we see an exhortation and then a wonderful promise. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your ha hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So we're to submit ourselves to God. Which again is the opposite of our nature. Our nature is to flee from God in our natural state. But when we're born again, we desire to submit to God, don't we? We desire to submit ourselves to that in order to do that, God must give us a new heart and a new spirit. Because by nature, we won't do that. And then we wonder in awe at the regenerating power of God, the Holy Spirit, who turns again rebels into worshipers. That's what he's done with us, hasn't he? He's turned the rebels into worshipers. And how has he done that? All according to his almighty power and his will. Because it pleased him to do so. We say, me? Pleased him to do so. Aren't you thankful that it pleased him to do so? And after we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God, we willingly submit ourselves to Christ. Willingly. But we have a daily struggle, don't we, with the flesh. 
the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have a daily struggle. And here we see in our text what we're to resist the devil. He's an enemy who we are to oppose. He's been crushed by Christ. He's been crushed by Christ, but we're, we're, it tells us here to, to resist him. And here flee from you. Trust in Christ. Rest in Christ. And here flee from you. That's what it's all about. Just resting in our king. People think, well, there's something I got to Sure, I got to fight him. And Paul, No, just rest in Christ. Just say, I'm such a sinner. I have no hope outside of Christ. I'm just going to trust my king. Here flee from you. <laughs> here flee from you. Oh, my. In verse 8, we see a promise. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, workspace mongers, they get a hold of these verses here. We've, we've been seeing this. We've been, what, this is lesson 28 now in James. We've been seeing all through this, 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 less, these, this study how, how um, workspace mongers, religionists, can get a hold of these verses and say, see, this is what you got to do. But that's not what these verses are about. What does it mean to draw nigh to God? What does that mean? Well, again, some may give a long theological exhortation. But I like what Brother Tim James brings forth. It's simply believing. Believing on Christ. Just believing. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3, and then put your finger in, in Ephesians chapter 2. In light of what we see here, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The nearness spoken of here is not a physical nearness. It's a spiritual nearness. It's a spiritual nearness. What drives us away from God? as humans. Our sin. Our sin is what drives us away from God. It's our flesh. It's man's natural tendency in our lost and fallen estate to run away from God. How do we know that? Well, let's look at our father and mother. Genesis chapter 3. The father... Of all people on this world. Let's look at this. And he fell in the garden, right? And we fell with him, didn't we? Look at this. Now we're going to see here. We'll see what Adam and Eve did. And we all spring from them. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise... She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. That's, that's man there trying to um, work their way to heaven, right there. Fig leaves. Workspace salvation just puts a bunch of fig leaves on people, Right? We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, don't we? And in order for that to happen, there has to be an innocent one that dies. Oh, yeah. 
And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did Adam and Eve do? The same thing that we all do in our natural state. Right? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. See, that's, that's naturally what we do. We hide ourselves from the presence of God amongst the trees of the garden. They hid themselves thinking, we're going to hide amongst these trees. He won't know where we are. He's God. He's God. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Now, he didn't ask that for information, did he? He already knew where they were. And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself far from God. Hiding from God. That's our natural ways. When God finds us, right? Because he's that, he's that shepherd going after the lost sheep, right? He doesn't find us seeking him. He finds us hiding from him. The only reason we seek God is because he's done a work in us. That's the only reason. So the tendency of natural man who's fallen just like Adam and Eve in our text in Genesis is for us to run and hide from the Lord. Now turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We're look, I love this portion of Scripture. I just absolutely love this portion of Scripture. And our flesh drives us away from God. It's always we who leave God's presence. He doesn't go nowhere. Right? And do you notice that God sought out Adam and Eve even after they'd fallen? In that text we just read? He sought them out. They didn't seek him. They were hiding in the trees. Oh my. You know we're brought nigh to God by God? We're brought close to God by God? We who are fallen and lost sinners, we being bought, we who are his people who are born again, by the Holy Spirit of God, have been bought nigh, bought near to God. How? By faith. But also more something more important than that, though. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hand. So there we are. This is a picture of us, Gentiles in the flesh. That's what we are. We're all Gentiles here. And we were called that by the, those who are called the uncircumcision, that's the Jews. That at times past you were without Christ. Look at that. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's the estate of lost men and women. Right there. They may have a hope in something in this world, but they have no true hope. They have no true hope. Look at this. So, what a state. We know that in that state we can't help ourselves, right? We're powerless to save ourselves. Praise be to God. Here's another but. But now in 
Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by how? The blood of Christ. God himself brings us to God. God the Son brings us to God the Father. Made nigh, but close, by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. What a statement. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar. And to them that were nigh. Now let's go back to James with that in our minds. James chapter 4, verse 8. And now we can see that we're brought nigh, we're brought near by the blood of Christ. So this isn't talking about a physical nearness. This is talking about a spiritual nearness. Let's read that verse again with that in mind. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How is one's hands cleansed? How is one's heart purified? We can't cleanse our own hands. We can't purify our hearts. Well, beloved, the cleansing of hands and the purifying of heart is only accomplished by God the Holy Spirit. And he gives us faith, which is a gift of God, right? Men and women make a lot of their faith. Faith is given to us. It's a gift of God. If you have faith in Christ, rejoice. He gave you that. God gave you that. He gets all the glory. And hands represent the works of the flesh. And hearts, again, represent the affections. Uh, it, being plural, it's double-minded. So how are the hands cleansed? We'll turn to Romans chapter 6, if you would. And then put your finger in Colossians chapter 3. Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3. How are, how are our hands cleansed? Oh, let's see here. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 to 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Right? We resist sin, don't we? As much as we can, we do. We hate it in ourselves more than in anybody else. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourself unto God. Just come to God. Rest in him. Trust in him. As those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Why? Because the law is being fulfilled in our place by Christ Jesus our Lord. So the law that had a rightful claim on us no longer has a claim on us. That claim has been paid in full, beloved. Now, do we just go around and do whatever we want? No, Tom and I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely not. The love of Christ constrains us from sin. I don't know one grace preacher to tell you you can go out the door and do whatever you want. That's antinomianism. We don't believe in that. But we are not under the law, beloved. <laughs> 
Christ is what? The end of the law for what? For righteousness. For all his people. That's good news for sinners. Now, how's the heart purified? Well, the heart is the affections, right? Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. And, and the affections, by faith, we have, we have our affections turned to another. The faith that God gives us turns our affections to Christ, doesn't it? Again, it's all his work. We've been given a new heart, which now what? Hungers and thirsts after righteousness. Who's, who's our righteousness? The Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture says that, that in the preaching of the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul wrote that in Romans. And who's revealed in the preaching of the gospel? The Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul tells us over here in the book of Colossians to set our minds upon Christ. Look at this. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection there, that's the heart, on things above, not on things of the earth. Don't get carried away with what's going on in the world. We look at it and say, what a mess. In our eyes, it's a mess, but it's not a mess in God's eyes. Okay? He's, he's absolutely sovereign over all things. So set our minds not on the things going on on the earth, but set our minds on Christ and him above. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Look at that. When Christ, who is our life, and he's our life, he's our all in all, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now let's go back to James, and we'll look at these last two verses here. These last two verses, verses 9 and 10, I'm just going to be real quick, running out of time here. But look at these. It says, verses 9 and 10. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Now, how are you to afflict yourself, mourn, weep, and cease from mirth? Well, only by believing and resting in Christ. See, what this is talking about is telling us to cease from our labors. In Leviticus, it says this, Leviticus 16, 29, This shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that joineth among you. So it's talking about a Sabbath, a rest. Resting in Christ is believing, not laboring in the flesh. Christ is our Sabbath. He's our true rest, isn't he? <clears throat> He's the believer's only rest. Brother Tim James brings forth that resting in Christ is referred to as affliction. It's hard. <laughs> hey, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. It makes us mourn. Because our flesh wants to do something else, doesn't it? See, there's the battle between the flesh and the spirit, beloved. Ceasing from laughter just because it's painful to pride and painful to lay ourselves in the dust before God. We, we desire that. The spirit desires that, doesn't it? But the flesh, the flesh, the flesh, it's a constant battle. It's an affliction, you see? So people take these, these verses and they say, well, you've got to do this and you've got to be this way. You can't laugh, you can't... That's not what it's talking about. 
talking about the affliction of the flesh. Resting in Christ afflicts our flesh. Our flesh weeps and mourns at its demise. And when we acknowledge that our flesh has nothing to do with our salvation, my oh my, when you, and you tell you what, you can see how people will react. Tell them that salvation is not dependent on anything they do. It's all dependent upon Christ. And watch the fireworks. <laughs>